Hey everybody, Chris here. You may know us these days as the Personal Injury Mastermind, but you've discovered our roots when we first started as the Rankings Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Over the years and hundreds of episodes, we've expanded our reach while staying true to our mission. We help you and your firm dominate the competition with insights from some of the best in the legal industry. You may notice that these older episodes sound a bit different. That's because we also embrace change and growth. I hope you enjoy this episode from the vaults and listen to a few of our newer episodes while you're at it. Thanks for being here. Let's begin. So when I say the word CRM, I usually get one of two reactions. Attorneys either see tools like these as the necessary evil or they're evangelists who tell you that the CRM changed their life. Today's guest is from the latter camp. He experienced firsthand the power of process through the CRM, case management systems, and just managing people. And at every level of the law firm hierarchy, He's got some pretty persuasive drivers that you're going to want to know about. It's getting more competitive. There's more money in the marketplace. It's harder to get cases. People are realizing you can make a lot more money without spending anymore. Today, we meet Bill Dininger, Director of Business Strategy at Whites and Luxembourg, the biggest plaintiff's law firm in New York. We hear how Bill transformed the firm's processes in the perfect Venn diagram of people, process, and profit, which data sets the law firms of the future need to have a handle on, and why Bill believes you should always hire a geek. That's coming up on the Rankings Podcast, the show where founders, entrepreneurs, and elite personal injury attorneys share their inspiring stories about what they did to get to the top and what keeps them there. I'm Chris Stryer. Stay with us. probably fair to say the position of director of business strategy is a new development of many law firms. And some of you might assume it's only necessary for those huge scale market leaders. Bill's been in the game for a while. However, he's seen where the industry is headed. In my experience and, and, and working in law firms and speaking to a lot of other law firm owners, there's a gap, right, between you know the people that run the technology, which they always call the IT department, which drives me insane right? Because IT is help desk phones, my computer doesn't turn on. And the lawyers, and they both know their areas really well, but they're not speaking the same language. And really, that's been my focus for a long period of time of kind of bridging that gap. And then just normal business practices, budgeting, documenting how processes work, right? And make them work the same way over and over so you can train people in and out of positions, using technology and automation in the way that every other business outside of law does. That's been a major focus and, and that's how it's come in. And you know, when I came started at Whites and Luxembourg, you know, I was that one person. And since then I've grown into a department of uh, about 10 different people and we're you know, intimately involved in various aspects throughout the firm. And even to the point where the guy who I hired, my second hire basically kicked me out of my job. <laughs> so now I'm doing strategy while he really runs the operations. Yeah. And, and for one, I really appreciate the operation side of things because it lends itself to consistency. There's nothing wrong when you get an inconsistent result when you work with someone. I think that a lot of businesses that rule by abdication, hey, go do this for me. And, but then that individual leaves. It's like, okay, well, now I have to start all over. So have you found yourself when you're you know, implementing these ground up processes, did you start to see the foundation just really strengthen and, and see itself have the ability to scale? 
Yeah. It's amazing how little people, you know, know about how their businesses operate, right? Especially in the firm. So they say, well, how does this work? You know, one of the first things that we do as a group when we start a project is we sit down and we do current state and we interview the manager. We say, okay, how does it work? And then you talk to the person who's actually doing it. They're like, yeah, yeah if I did it, it would never happen. It would ne- I'd never get anything done. I can't do all those things. I do it this way. And then you kind of take that, you meld it, and you begin to kind of develop what's the best possible scenario. And really, it's about, you know, increasing your productivity, controlling what's happening in the firm, reducing your overall operating costs, and increasing your profits. And I think one of the reasons why, and it's a personal theory of mine, but I really believe that plaintiff law firms are so profitable that they don't have to have strict budget rules. They have the ability to run sloppy because it's just there and they still make money. And that tide has changed. I mean, there's been a massive shift in the marketplace. I mean, it's why you have all these, you know, there's more case management systems. I mean, CRM was something that was never even spoken about five years ago. No one even knew what it was. I mean, I did my first CRM build in Sugar, which was a free off the shelf application before we moved into Salesforce. But, you know, everybody was running intake out of a case management system, which is a different data structure. So it's moving in the opposite direction. And, and the reason why it's getting more competitive, there's more money in the marketplace. It's harder to get cases. And people are realizing you can make a lot more money without spending any more money. There's so many nuggets there that I wanted to, to ask about. <laughs> so I, I watched you on your Invoca YouTube uh, interview and, and I specifically wanted to focus. So let's let's nail down the difference between the case intake and their deficiencies versus the true use of a CRM from a business standpoint. And, and I think you, you nailed it in that interview. And I'd just love for you to share with our audience kind of the differences there and the limitations. So on a CRM system, which is really, you know, designed for intake, right? An intake system is I'm trying to get you, the individual to do something. So you become the most important piece of that record. So what do I mean by that? I get, a, I get a web form submission in, I need to call you. I have a conversation with you, I send you a contract, right? All the next activities, the tasks, everything is all centered around the client. Once you sign the retainer, that is no longer the case. The main record now is Jones versus Geico, you know, whatever the lawsuit is. That becomes your parent record and the individual client hangs off of that. So it fundamentally changes your data structure. Why? What's the next step? I need to order medical records. I need to file a case. I need to, you know, all of the steps as it goes down through the legal process is around the case and that client becomes tangential and just another party, just like the defendant attorney, the doctor that's treating them, so on and so forth. So that's a fundamental shift that really happened. And and for a long time, people struggled running call centers off of case management systems. And that's why, is that your data wasn't organized the proper way. And it's true, even if you go through case management systems, a single event practice case management system data structure is different than a multi-district litigation or a mass tort, right? So understanding what tool you're using for your practice and what areas of practice you operate in is crucial in, in deploying your technology. Bill knows how challenging it can be to test and implement new CRM systems at law firms. At Whites and Luxembourg, New York's biggest plaintiff's law firm, he completely reimagined their case management systems. 
It was a transformational process on a massive scale, but many of the key processes that Bill executed could be applied to a firm of any size. When I came in there, they were really running everything out of the case management system. They had sort of a CRM type interface within there that they built, but it wasn't really robust. And really comes down to for intake, it's customer service. It's keeping it simple, right? So you know who was the last person to speak to them? When was the last time they were contacted? They don't, you don't make your client repeat themselves 15 times. You don't call them 16 times in a day or not call them for 16 days, right? That's a major component. So it keeps all that information in one spot. The other huge advantage of a CRM system, if it's set up properly, is that a huge portion of a law firm's budget is in marketing and client acquisition and keeping track of the lead attribution. How did this client get to you, right? Was it Google AdWords? Was it your Facebook? Was it a combination? You know, how are you running through the funnel? A lot of firms operate transactionally in that they just put out, you know, a Google AdWord. Were you hurt in a car accident? Yes, click here, bang, you're and you're in. But, you know, in some of these other torts, you know, asbestos and a lot of the drug cases, there's an education process where you're putting out content as it goes in. You're not necessarily asking them to call. You're educating the marketplace and the fact that, hey, if you use Roundup and you got an NHL, you know, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, there's a link here, which is exposure and injury. And sometimes in a car accident, it's pretty obvious. You got hit by a car. Next thing you know, you wake up, you're in a hospital. But in a lot of the drug cases, you have to educate the marketplace and say, hey, there is correlation here. That's what this litigation is about. That's the biggest payoff. And usually that's what that's the lowest hanging fruit when you walk into a law firm is that, okay, how are you doing your marketing tracking? How are you doing your lead attribution? Because if I make your money 10, 15, 20% more efficient, everything else I do is free, right? And then, you know, in the case management side, it's about presenting the information uh, to the lawyers. As all the information gets gathered, it's all in one place. Anyone can review it. The managing partners can keep track of all of their cases and understand what's going on in their entire universe. Um, The individual attorneys can see their caseload, know what deadlines are coming up, what's happening, how they can distribute their work. And then, you know, those two things operating together gets you to the kind of nirvana of a normal business, which is very simple, right? What's your net profitability on a firm? There's a lot of referral relationships back and forth, but what's the profitability in your referral relationships? And doing budget forecasting for next year, right? Because a case that comes in today it's at 18, 24 months, depending upon what type of case it is. In some cases, four or five years before you see that money. So understanding which areas of practice are profitable, which attorneys are profitable, where you can increase your profitability, capturing all that data, storing it in one place is really the foundation of getting that started. I couldn't agree more with all that. There's a saying that comes to mind. I know you've heard it, that 50% of your marketing is working. You just don't know which half. <laughs> and uh, as a couple of follow-ups specific to plaintiff, and this is a little self-serving, but I know our audience will appreciate this, but uh, typically the PI firm will have a vanity phone number, a 1-800, you know, uh, injured or something. I don't know the exact right. character limit. You know, so what kind of challenges do you face in those situations when you can't necessarily use a call rail dynamic pool or dedicate a specific phone number to a source? Do those lose value? 
or, you know, what kind of, how do you overcome some of those challenges? So I spent basically five years railing against vanity numbers. I hated them and I never understood them. I didn't think they made sense. And then I became friends with some of the, you know, bigger motor vehicle accident attorneys who really, you know, push the vanity number. And I began to recognize the value in it. And it makes a lot of sense, right? In that through repetition, they are drilling that phone number into your head so that this way, when that accident happens or when you do need the lawyer, it's instantly there. But I think what you can do and and what I've recommended a few different times is, okay, that's your branded market play, right? So that's your budget for that. But you could try these other tactics, whether they be social media, whether they be long funnel education, whether they be community outreach, there's a hundred different ways you can market and break it out of branding. There's no reason, not everything has to have the vanity number on it, especially if you're doing mobile device, right? No one's typing the phone number in, it's click to dial. So in those scenarios, especially when in your digital marketing side, start using some call rail numbers or Invoca, right? And see what's effective and not effective. And then you can, you know, once you understand what's working, what's not working, and it comes down to, it's not just, is the tactic working or what's my cost per retained? We've done some research and working with our marketing people, like I forget one of the campaigns we were running, we figured out that if you just use a medical image, right, of like an x-ray in one of the ads, it had a 20% higher rate, right? So those are all the little experiments that you begin to play with. And you could translate that over into your branded, right? So you could play over here and do all your A-B testing on one side without your vanity number and then take your learnings and apply it for best practices into your branded campaign. So you don't have to just, you know, only use that phone number. You could play around a bit. And, that, and I recommend it because the learnings that you get there increases the efficiency of your branded marketing. Yeah, that, that's some great points. I'd always wondered that, you know, in terms of attribution and, and it makes sense, you know, if, it's easy to do the direct response, bottom of the funnel, your paid ads when you're bidding those bottom of the funnel keywords and things like that. I was just kind of curious from a brand perspective and, and also, you know, it's just a challenge. I would say, you know, you got your funnel, the top, you know, top of funnel, middle of the funnel, bottom of the funnel, or no like trust, whatever you want to call it and how you evaluate their effectiveness when it's not that immediate return. So I'm sure that's you know, a big component of having enough data probably paints a different picture. Yes. And, you know, it's interesting. We've gone through the journey, right, where we started with the platforms. We moved into the platforms. And then we made all the platforms talk together and everyone, you know, everything had a place to go. Then we made all the community, you know, we made them all communicate together. Then we started building on the reporting on it. And it was a very fast acceleration in the reporting side. And then we hit like a dead stop. And it was, you know, why? Because the ability for people to interpret and understand the data that we were providing to them, we exceeded their limit. They didn't understand what to do with the information we were telling them because it was too much information. So now we're actually in a push and pull in between providing reporting and data and educating what's the history of that data, right? Where does it start? Where does it stop? How accurate is it? Are we capturing it or do we have to go back into the database and change the way we're capturing a particular piece of information to make it, you know, a better reporting format? But also how to think about the business. We've come to the point in the last year, really, since we've made this huge push into really making the data consumable, where the attorneys themselves 
have had to change their decision-making process. You know, typically more around operational issues, but definitely how to spend money, um, how to assign out work, how to interpret that because they just have a lot more information that they've never had to deal with before. But the benefits are impressive. Yeah, and imagine from the scaling component and choosing strategic partners to work with, whether it's a media buying company or SEO or PPC or whoever, you know, traditional marketing, that there's a more of an objective thing. Hey, here's the data. You're not getting it done. <laughs> like, I like you, but we're going to have to let you go <laughs> type of yeah. situation. And it's knowledge, right? So, you know, I've had some marketing companies that had long relationships with the firm and, and, you know, I sit down and I say, okay, I'm interested in, you know, running some marketing and investing in this litigation and see if we can get some cases. What's your cost per retained? And then they tell me, and I'm like, I'm doing better. Like, why should I go with you? And they would get frustrated. Like we had a great relationship, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm, you know, saving $500 on per case. Sorry. I'm not going to spend the money with you just because we're friends. I mean, if you can get your costs down, we're there, but understanding what your numbers are. And again, it goes back to increasing your profitability, more efficient, efficient use of your capital. No one has unlimited budgets. And at the end of the day, it becomes a competitive advantage because if me and you are both going after that same case and my money is 20 or 30% more effective than yours and we're spending the same amount, I'm going to beat you. And it's compounding over time because I'm signing up more cases for you this year, which means I'm going to have more money next year to spend and so on and so forth. And I just keep on beating. I got a lot of follow-up questions. So a personal injury firm, let's say that wants to get more focused or, or try to improve their attribution. What are kind of the foundational things that they should look at in trying to measure, you know, lead sourcing and things like that? The first thing is, is make sure that you take someone whose job it is to work on the law firm, not for the law firm. They don't talk to clients. Their job is singular in that they run marketing, they run data. They don't have to come in and press a button every day. They're project-based and they're able to move, move these projects forward. The second thing is you have to assess who you have in the office, right? And you can't expect, you know, the guy who, let's say, is running in a traditional IT department, right? So he's setting up your phone system, making sure that the network's up, all that, to suddenly go and do web design and lead attribution. It's not the same skill set at all, right? Yes, it's technology, but it's like saying any lawyer can do any area of practice. It's, it's not true. You have to have a knowledge foundation. So figuring out, do you have the people with the right skills, with the right mindset, right? The way they think, the way to troubleshoot, being creative in the right position. If you don't find that person, if you don't want to hire them directly, you know, you can outsource it for a period of time, but bring that knowledge in-house. And then start going through your systems and understanding how you're capturing the information, start creating plans around process. It goes down to people process technology, right? So do you have the right people in place? Do you have a process defined and exactly how you're going to capture it? You know, for us, it's, it goes to marketing department. It goes to the accounting department. It goes to the operations department. They're all involved in the creation of a new campaign and the legal team. So that this way we know where they're coming from, how much we're spending on them, linking everything all together. And that's what gives you the full scope picture. So it requires people to work as a team and you got to have the, you got to make sure you have the right skills in house. So it's truly that Venn diagram. So you don't have the right people, but you got the process and the tech then, or you're missing any of those components kind of sweet spot right in the middle. 
And this was kind of a, I didn't have this plan to ask you, but I, I think everything you're saying, working on the business with operations, attributions, people, process, technology, because there has to be a fundamental awareness of this language and the type of individual they need to hire. Is it, do they need to explore a scaling up by Vern Harnish or is it a, you know, an EOS by Gino Wickman, you know, where should they start on this awareness of working on the business? In my mind, it always starts from the top down, right? I know a lot of great lawyers that are bad managers and I know a lot of great managers that are bad lawyers, right? And some really great lawyers that end up getting stuck in management roles because they're competent, and they don't, they're resentful and they don't like doing it. So it ends up being something that they just deal with it whenever they can. So it starts with A, what's the goal of the business, right? B, who are the people here? And do I have, you know, the right people in the right places? And are they interested in doing this work? Because you'll find a lot of attorneys that are like, hey, you know what? I don't really enjoy practicing anymore. And the person that loved practicing 10 years ago may not like practicing now. People change over time, their lives change, their family, whatever outside influences. So making sure you have a clear direction of your firm. This is where I want to grow. This is the next area. And then lining up your people, delivering the message. It's just simple leadership and management all the way down the line. And if you have someone, and and I see this all the time, you know, oh, this person is a department head, right? And they're involved in like 10 major torts. And oh, by the way, they also have a staff of 100 that report to them that they have to supervise. In what reality is that going to happen efficiently in both places, right? And by the way, it's a flat management structure, right? So there's like two people between them and 85 people. It just doesn't work. I think that more and more law firms are beginning to kind of notice it. You got to have a goal for the firm and understand where you're going, what your assets are, and driving towards that initiative, but it's it's changing. I mean, I'm, I've watched some of your podcasts and I've seen some of the attorneys really start to make that change and recognize that, you know, they can't be in court 30 hours a week and run a business. You can't do it. It's the delegate and elevate. You only have so much time. So you gotta, at some point you gotta bring on, I mean, tools and technology can help you very far, but at the end of the day, you gotta maybe have more bodies at the firm to get it done too. Yeah, so switching over to personal. So you, you've worked on some really sizable projects. You're clearly someone that loves a challenge. So, you know, are you a go climb a mountain type of person or what do you do in your downtime? What do you do to kind of break away from work? I have a weird background in kind of how I got here. But at the end of the day, it's fundamentally decision making, understanding complex systems. And I'm still like that 15 year old kid laying underneath my dad's car telling with him telling me, you know, what to fix and walking away and coming back 20 minutes later and telling me what to do next. I spend a lot of time fiddling around my house, construction, cars, whatever it is, uh, time with my family and cooking, but it's that same thing. It's decision-making, it's complex uh, problem solving, but I get to control everything and I don't have to ask anyone's permission besides my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Had to throw that one in. <laughs> yeah, I mean the real boss. <laughs> I love that. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna close up with our three for three. It's just uh, you know three questions in three minutes, kind of quick hitter at the end here. So number one, I know you know where this question is coming from. What is your top search engine optimization tip? It's content. I, I you know for me, I look at so many websites and they just they don't add the content to it. They don't keep it up to date. They don't keep it relevant. 
that's a big aspect and it's, it's hard. I mean, it's really hard coming up with that creative over and over again, but you know, content, content, content. Absolutely agree. Which entrepreneur do you admire the most? I read a lot of biographies, Rockefeller, Musk. It's a combination. I don't know if I, I don't know if I could just pick one. There's certain aspects of each one that I like. I have to ask a follow-up and I'm probably not supposed to do this, but did, did you read Titan? That's like the one on my uh, to read yes. list. Yes. It was fantastic. Actually, I just recommended it to somebody the other day. Really? Oh, I got to read it. Okay. And then final question here, which book has had the biggest impact on your life to date? Good to great. Jack Welch. Some superb lessons in process-driven management from Bill Dininger there. I think a lot of you listening out there in PI firms can relate to the shift in perspective that's going on at the moment. The law firm of the future is anyone's game right now, and innovative business strategists like Bill have a huge part to play in where the industry is headed. You've been listening to the Rankings Podcast. I'm Chris Dreyer. A huge thanks to Bill Denninger for talking with us today. You can find more info, as always, in the show notes. And we want to hear from you. Has Bill got you looking at your marketing attribution in a whole new light? Drop us a review and let us know. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.